Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find these separate speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Ira. Uh, good evening, everyone. My name is Iron. I am a compulsive overeater. Hi, um, All right, I'll qualify first. I think that's important. Um, actually, tomorrow is an anniversary. It's not an anniversary. It's a it's a milestone day because I my abstinence sobriety commences from September seventh of nineteen eighty three. So tomorrow I will have uh, God willing. One day at a time, 29 years and 10 months of abstinence and sobriety. I'm also sober from alcohol um, and came in via uh, PG. And this feels suspiciously like at least a lot of the the, the uh, form, you know, the formalities remind me of that. And uh, uh, my high weight was 330 pounds. 325 to 330. And when I came in, I'm, I'm think about this, uh, my driver's license lied. In that it said, I think I weighed on that driver's license 265. I came in, like I said, my highway was between 325 and 330. When I came in, I was around 308, 305, something like that. And it also said I was 5'11", and I've never been over 5'6 <laughs> However, hey, Roy, Roy, we should thank him, because, like, which I do, and he deserves it and demands it, and hopefully his, his demands get reduced, I think, as it says at the end of Step 7 in the A, 12 and 12. Um, because uh, he had this idea, and I think it's a great one. And look at the turnout. You know, um, anyway, what I'm here to do is to share experience, strength, and hope. And um, the longer, you know, yes, that is true, time in and of itself is not the deal. It's one overeater talking to another, just as it's, was it face-to-face modem to modem in the fourth edition. I think it says that in the fourth. The only reason I know this stuff is... I was told when I came in to read two pages of the big book every day and reread it, put it down, because he knew, he knew I didn't want, you know, I wanted to graduate and understand this so I could control it. <laughs> and um, um, so after that, then the AA 12 and 12, I was a delegate to the uh, World Service Business Conference in 1985 where they were still working out the OA 12 and 12. And at that time, I thought, just like they were fond of saying, you know, at PG, they use their last names. You know, my name is Hershen. It doesn't, you know, so what? But the whole point being that the mindset that I had at that conference was I was against the idea of having an OA 12 and 12 because it makes us different, you know. And that ego and you don't understand. Oh, that's what my Joe used to say. There are only eight words that I could say that um, would make him angry. 
you know, I could rob, rape, pillage, murder, you know, do all that stuff. But the eight words that are going to make him angry are, but you don't understand my case is different. (laughs) And um, I thought that at that time, like I know something, like that having an OA 12 and 12 is speaking to the worst of us, not the best of us. That's what I thought. I thought, think a lot of things. I also heard a guy at one of those meetings over there substitute, and it was one of the funniest intros I've ever seen, substitute the word think for drink in the 20 questions. Like, and then he would say things like, has your sex life been adversely affected by overthinking? Have I ever lost a job by thinking too much? You know, you get the idea. And um, my mind has changed. You know, how I feel has changed. In that, I'm not only glad there's an OA 12 and 12, which I've started to read in the same manner, but if it helped one person identify themselves, identify with the literature because of the relationship they have to food, as opposed to drinking, it was worth publishing. I didn't think that at the time. But see, that's the whole point. My, um, let's see. um, You know, one of the stories in the fourth edition, it's a woman's story in the higher bottom section, the second, I forget which, I don't think it's my chance to live, I forget. But she talks about, and my sponsor taught me to identify, not compare. Identifying is how am I like you, comparing is how am I different than you, and basically I'm better than you, and all that stuff. What drives everything in me, the negative portion of it, generates the anger, the wanting to eat, and all that is anxiety. And what you guys taught me a long time ago, because, oh, I didn't tell you that um, Joe, I was working for him, I'm a music writer in the entertainment business, and because of this program, it's same thing. What do young writers do? Overwrite. Put too much in, not enough space. Had a teacher, and this is not, you know, I mean, it's outside, but it isn't. You know, he said, it's not what you write that counts, it's what you don't write. Long time ago, you know. And the thing is, none of that, all of the good stuff that I've gotten, never stopped me from compulsive overeating. All of the bad stuff never made me compulsively overeat. Now, I'm a 100-pounder. This is the third time that I've lost 100 pounds. I tell this as a... I wish I had pictures. I used to have them. I don't know what happened to them. Uh, I've asked... You know, I'm from Detroit, Michigan, although I've lived here since 1972. By here, I mean not in Overeaters Anonymous. I mean in the valley. And for those of you West Siders, we... PG has a... You know, we may not be pretty, but if you're from the valley, forgive me, but I'm from the valley, so. We may not be pretty, but we are sincere, so. Um, but it's the same thing over anything, you know. Like, my writing has never gotten better. In September of 2009, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. And I have, but thank God, um, it's a mild form. I still work out, lift weight. I can't do the aerobics. I had surgery three and a half months ago for a, a male problem. And uh, 
Thank God it wasn't cancerous, but the surgery was an 80% failure. In that, what it was supposed to take care of didn't. I mean, I'm basically in, in the same position I was, although I am standing, but I'm in the same position I was before the surgery. But I respect my doctor. And I like him. And I'm not, I don't resent him. I'm disappointed. And I don't like the inconvenience of, of not emptying, you know, that kind of stuff. I'm trying to be obtuse, and you still know what I'm talking about. So, so um, most of my life before I came in, aside, I am not the kind of overeater who is a shy wallflower who wants everybody to like. I am used to, you know, they say one definition of an addictive personality is the relationship that they have with inanimate objects. It's only overeaters that will be pounding and talking and pleading with a candy machine when somebody else would have, you know, gone off to get some candy someplace else. You know. So what drives me is all this anxiety. And that's what the steps and helping people do for me to relieve that. There's an old saying, if you want self-esteem, do estimable things. What I was told to do, and again, I'm sharing my experience the best I can was go up to three people you don't know, to every meeting you go to, this is in the beginning, and say, hi, my name's Ira, I'm over here, how you doing? And be quiet. Well, they didn't say be quiet, they said shut up. You know, um, because what will happen is, if I'm really listening, I'll stop thinking about what's bothering me. And I need to do that. What the disease is for me, is I like thinking about what's bothering me. <coughs> And I like blaming people like Roy, people like Mickey, for all the problems in my life, because that way I don't have to take any responsibility. See? If only they would be different, then things would be okay. Except that, by definition, if I'm a compulsive overeater, it doesn't matter whether they're different or not, because I'll eat because I find out why I want to eat. I'll celebrate that. I'll go over to the soup plantation and have three of whatever they have there. Because I have the philosophy that says... Both, both as an alcoholic and as an overeater, if one is good, 52 will be fantastic. <laughs> that goes for aspirin, that goes for medicine, that goes for booze, that goes for food, it goes for anything. So that had to change. And my mind will still go there. I can tell you that I'm an overeater. I had this experience. Uh, we were recording a film score at Devonshire Sound, which is in uh, North Hollywood. And for some reason at that time, and I commit my food every day, I still do. And it's not perfect. There is no perfect. You know, what an order, I can't go through with it. No one among us, except a lot of always come up, I'm a perfectionist. I don't buy it. I think that what we're talking about, and I'll get to that story in a second, is people pleasing. Because if we were really perfectionists, all of us would be at go away. The women perfectly, you know, made up. Men perfectly groomed, perfectly tailored. All the colors would match. You know, that's why Nazi uniforms are my favorite army uniforms. Because they look so good. You know. And uh, we would never gain an ounce. Of course, we'd be nuts. So what it is, it's people pleasing. It's, it's, it's this desire for approval. And it's very interesting lately... 
I've been, where my reading has taken me is to the last part of the 12th step in the AA 12 and 12. Right before where it says, you know, these little studies have come to an end. Because what he talks about, what Bill talks about there is emotional security. That's what I'm looking for. And what to me emotional security is, is that no matter whether the check comes or not, whether the 99th person in here doesn't like what I say, whether I get into an argument or not, whether I screw up, and I will and have and will continue to do so, hopefully a little less, I can still be centered enough to know I'm all right. That's what emotional security is. It is not, because what he says there before that is the two problems people like us, he talks about the fact that psychiatrists looked at alcoholics, and we got insulted when he said, they said that we were grandiose, childish, and immature, and all that stuff, which I am, hopefully less. But he said, what Bill says is, now we've come to agree that our problem is not perfectionism. Our problem is not our insights or not psychology. Our problem is that we are either trying to dominate people or too dependent upon them. And they will fail us. That's my problem. If I am dependent on what you feel about this talk, I'm in trouble. The reason I'm here to do this talk is because it keeps me out of my head and it helps keep me abstinent. So I'm delighted to be here. You know, and I ache a little bit. The MS, in, heat is a bad stimulus of it. Actually, not so much heat, humidity is. But I still go on anyway. I've been able to do all-nighters. I had, I will tell you a couple of stories, a nine-step story that's a great one. Anyway, I was talking about this, uh, what was, I don't even remember what I was talking about before, but um, let me see if I can come back to it. Oh, yeah, oh, okay, yes, how I know I'm a compulsive overeater. So we were, we, so at that time, for some reason I was, I, at that time I was eating two meals a day, not three, because like you start me out on a big breakfast and I'm gone, you know. Um, and, you know, I had about 10, 12 years of, of sobriety and abstinence. But I was deciding the only meat that I would have, and I abstained from red meat, flour products, sugar products since the beginning, and that's the truth. With the exception, one time in Bora Bora, where it was a Sunday and it's a Catholic, um, you know, country. So everything's closed except this one hamburger joint in the downtown area of the town on Bora Bora. It's called Bayatapa. And they had, the only thing they had were hamburgers. So for 22 bucks, I got a hamburger that looked and tasted worse than a white tower. (laughs) And I looked at my wife. And she, without me saying anything, she said, yeah, you're abstinent. You know. But that's life. See, the whole point of me telling you that is if I can do that, you can do that too. That what gets in the way is my head. So I, so the thing about the time is it's just more experiences. So at the time that I had this recording date, um, I decided that, like, the only meat or fish I was going to eat was for dinner and that I was going to do vegetables. I don't know why I felt that way, but that's what I was doing. So we go to this old Thai restaurant on Vineland and Lancashire. And uh, everybody orders. I'm looking. I'm looking for vegetables. I don't see anything. I see one item, pot Thai. Now, the thing about it is, majorly for me, 
noodles, flour products, macaroni. I got to stay away from that. That is like, I mean, I don't even like the red light, green light stuff. That's like, I'm dead. If you see me eating a pizza, I'm dead. You may as well be seeing me uh, drinking a gallon of Jack Daniels Black. Had to be the black label, not the green. Because of the aging process. On both the bottle's part and mine. So, um, anyway, the point is, so I ordered this stuff. I, I had, it wasn't conscious. I have about three spoons of it, and I'm saying, uh-oh. It dawned on me what it was, and I stopped eating. How I know I'm a compulsive overeater was I could still taste it ten days later. Normal people don't, I don't think, have those kind of memories. See, people like us do. Not people like me, people like us. So, okay. I know I'm a compulsive overeater. I come in, and after, and Joe, my A, the guy who Eskimo me into PG, I was working for him on a television show, and before I came in, uh, actually, this is 1979 or 80. This is before I came in. So we're sitting, and he says, how you doing, Ira? And I'm as big as ever, and brooding all the time. You know, I have that dark Russian soul. All my grandparents are Russian, and if I scowl enough, you'll ask me what's wrong, and I'll scream at you, and then everything will be okay. <laughs> so he says, how you doing, Ira? I said, I'm doing good, Joe. Then he said to me, well, if you're doing so good, why do you keep trying to kill yourself? Now, he was not an ovary. Oh, he had an eating issue, but it was not his drinking loss. So, three and a half years later, I came into the program. But that's the memory I had. I mean, there were a couple of things that brought me in on a Wednesday night to um, our office in Reseda. And um, it was that. It was, there was, you have to hit a bottle. I don't like hitting a bottle. With anything. The literature says if you, you can either go to a bottom or raise a bottom up and say, okay, but it has to be. Here's the thing about spiritual progress, spiritual perfection. It has to be physical because this is a physical world. You know, a lot, I, I hear people say, well, my spiritual and my emotional is together. Now, if I could just get the physical together. They're not separate. It's all the same. Like when the lady, thank you for reading the steps, but the first step does not read the way I heard it. It says, we admitted we were powerless over food, comma, that our lives had become unmanageable. And there's no and in there that I'm aware of, unless they've changed it, whoever they are. In other words, if I'm overeating, my life is unmanageable. I mean, if anybody disagrees, put your hand up and say, I disagree. I'm overeating like crazy. I'm 300 pounds, but boy, am I a success. <laughs> you know. See? And this is experience, strength, and hope talking to you. Not, not, I mean, obviously my ego is in this. It's in everything I do. But somewhere in the literature, uh, you know, like I think in that step 12 in the AA 12 bill, Bill talks about that every boy wants to be president and you have that dream, but soon, you know, in life, your head gets down to right size. And then it says after, and not so with alcoholics. You know, we we're, we have a legitimate reason for being the assholes that we are. Pardon me, I know this is being recorded. If you only knew what I went through, you'd tell me to eat more. 
except that I'm miserable. I talked to a guy who was at a meeting earlier that I do service at. And uh, this lady came up to me and she says, you know, I am happy. She was an alcoholic and she's got, she just got a sponsor and she started to abstain. She says, you know, I am happy. I said, that's the key. Would you rather be comfortable or happy? They're not the same. And that's been my experience. So, all right. I come in. I have, in fact, I will tell you this, and I'm not saying it out of an ego thing. My story happens to be in the OA book. And if you come up to me later, I'll tell you which one it is. But, you know, I don't want to make a big deal of it. The only reason I'm saying it is that it's possible. Okay? And probably having said that, it will probably be taken out of the next edition. All I'm saying is, it's just, and what these stories are, are for, be it OA, AA stories, is for us to identify. Oh, this is how he got through it. So that maybe at the end of chapter 5 it says, yeah, I must be one, you know, you've digested great chunks of truth about yourself. Oh, I have this thing too. See, the first step, the way I was taught, maybe maybe different, was the reason that chapter 5 starts, commences with, after the steps being convinced we were step 3, is because chapter 3 is more about alcoholism in which there are four examples of alcoholic behavior where that that chapter stresses over and over again the difference between the two. That you can't, if you're truly an alcoholic, recover on your own. Chapter 4 is called what? We agnostics. You know, what's agnostic? It's, it's I can't believe. Sounds like step 2, which is why I stepped that. That's how I was taught. All that, that, I'm just saying that's my experience. It makes sense to me. So, um, in chapter 3, over and over and over again, the true alcoholic, it says, any, I don't know, it says, like, if you really are not sure, try stopping drinking for a year. Anybody who's a real alcoholic, and I'm paraphrasing, can't get anywhere close. You know, the same thing with us. You know, uh, like like somebody, I, I was at a meeting, I actually a uh, book study in the Fairfax area a couple of days ago, and um, this woman was talking about how she wasn't sure she couldn't control the food and she was should she give this up and not that. And I talked to her afterwards. I said, "Well, this is how it was told to me. If you have no problem with the food, there should be no problem giving it up." However, what I know about myself, there are some things where if I eat them or I behave in that way, my personality changes. That means I'm an alcoholic. See? And I cannot have it both ways. This is not overweight anonymous. This is not inside anonymous. Okay? It says the message can't, it can't be frothy and emotional. I don't have the quote. Maybe you do. But, you know, um, uh, it has to be more than that. I had the experience. Now, here, let me show you a higher power in my life. This is what I believe. Um, a couple of things 
First of all, one of the things I heard about a higher power, to those of you who are having problems with the idea of turning it over, giving it up, or whatever, as I heard this at PG, is that in order to be successful with the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, I'll paraphrase over your Anonymous, the only thing you have to know about a, a higher power is to be reasonably clear, you're not it. <laughs> it doesn't even say completely clear, reasonably clear. Which means, now how I have to manifest that physically is I have to ask for help. Praying, in fact, in step five, is one of my, part of my favorite readings in the A, 12 and 12, is about why we need to check with other people. Because my mind, I will rationalize anything to justify it. I still do sometimes. No, oh, there's one other thing, too, to make it to, if this is scary to anybody who's new or struggling. Uh, the way the 12th step reads, it says, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we, one, tried to carry this message, tried to carry this message to overeaters. And, and two, actually it's two and three, practice these principles in all our affairs. It does not say master them. It says practice them. And I'm practicing this stuff all the time, including right now. You see, because if it doesn't reflect on how my life is changing, what I did 20 years ago doesn't mean anything. You know, I'll give you a couple of examples of higher power in my life and how the steps work. Like I said, I am a music writer in the entertainment business. I've been nominated for a couple of awards, work over, you know, just like everybody else with the crash. I mean, I won't get into a detail about this, but... It screwed up the entertainment business, too, because it's financing, right? So I've been semi-retired, thinking of teaching. You know, I'm open to anything. And ten minutes, okay. So there was a grudge I held for about 18 years against the president of an association that I sit on the board of called the American Society of Music Arrangers and Composers. The reason I had a grudge is because he didn't want me on the board. But there was a reason he didn't want me on the board. It's because publicly I called, in one of my less sober moments, called the secretary and treasurer incompetent and didn't deserve to be there publicly. Of course, I forgot about that. <laughs> right? So, time comes forward. I have lunch with this guy. I make amends to him. In fact, he invited me out for lunch, you know, because we're, we're both colleagues. The guy, he works mostly in, you know, Broadway theatrical stuff. I do mostly movies, television, you know, that stuff. So we have lunch. It's a very nice lunch. So flash forward again, there's another guy that I needed to make amends to that I treated. I had all of three years of absence, and I treated him like a gopher. This guy turned out to be one of the busiest orchestrators of film in television, in, in the movies in town now for years. And he, this guy Larry, asked me to join them for lunch. They are both officers. I am not. The reason we are having this lunch is there is a guy who also sits on the board who is one of us but hasn't surrendered anything. And part of how he manifests himself is, be, is he makes public angry statements about 
And when you're a member of a board, or you know, it's not a good idea in a town like this to do that. So it was felt that they were going to ask him to politely step down, which he refused to do. But in the conversation there, they wanted me to be there for support, you know, because we made amends. All right, this is what happens. So in as it's getting heated, I tell this guy, look, I said, this anger stuff doesn't work. I treated him, as I said this in public, very badly. I treated him very badly. Now, I'd already made amends. I said, they weren't the problem. I was the problem. And both of them were, you know, Brad came up to me, gave me a big hug. Now, so here's the reason this story, and this is a nine-step story, is, is applicable. I get a call three weeks ago from this guy that I had made amends to. Do you want to work on an original cast album as an arranger? I said, sure. He says, what I want you to do is to call a, uh, the, uh, the producer in New York. He's a fan of yours. I don't know this. So I, I call a guy up. You know, I massage him, tell him what he wants to hear. They say that if you have a conversation of more than 10 minutes in the entertainment business, it's a success. He kept me on the phone for almost 50 minutes. The other thing I found out was, is he's one of the biggest Broadway producers they're in. I could name a couple of shows he has produced. On the Tonys, they, they, they shot him and his wife. You know, my wife Googled it. And he says to me, he says, I didn't think you'd want to do this because you're a Hollywood guy. I said, what do you mean? I said, I'll work anywhere. He says, you mean you come to New York? I said, of course I would. He says, well, after this thing is done, i got plenty of stuff for you to do. What I'm saying is this is the kind of thing that in this town you die for. That kind of relationship. And I didn't solicit it. All I did was clean up my act and the guy felt safe enough to call me to say, would you work on this? And I got a a note that what I did was a big home run, you know. That's what happens when you get out of the way and just take care of business. Now, bad stuff happens too. Like I said, I had a surgery that was a failure. Here's another example. I got a note. I worked on a movie. Oh, it's got to be 10, 12 years old. Um, But I get a note from somebody who I have no idea who they are saying, check this out, that their daughter died two weeks ago and they're having a memorial on the 13th. Do you know where I can get the music? Because we want to sing this song from this movie. So what I did, instead of saying, I'll be the hero and fix it, I wrote her back and said, I'll turn this over to the guy who was the composer of the movie. And, and then I suggested, I wrote her a second email, if, that, if he's out of town or whatever, Try going on IMDb, which is the Internet Movie Database. If that doesn't work, call ASCAP BMI. Find out who the composer was. Apparently, it's the girl loved this. It was an animated movie, and she died. I don't know anything about that. But the point being, before I came into the program, was all about I need the money, not what music can do, not what the art can really do, not why I'm doing it, but gimme, 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 and don't let the door hit you on the way out. See, so what's changed in me, see, isn't that I'm this physical, you know, the oldest living Mr. Universe, 
What's changed is I'm okay with who I am. I screw up with food sometimes. I don't tell everything all the time. But I do the best I can. And I would say this. Uh, yeah, you know what? I, I think I'm... Well, let me, let me just say one more statement. If we have a couple of minutes for questions, that's fine. If, if not, not. I don't like it when it says, when they say about a sponsor, find somebody who has what you want. Because when I came in, everybody had what I wanted. Nobody had what I wanted. I didn't know what I wanted. If you're new, do you know what you want? You want to feel better. Well, pizza sounds good. All right, so, so, what, what to do? Find somebody you think you can talk to and call them. Again, you have to manifest this physically. Getting a number and not calling isn't it. Just make the call. What can happen? They hang up on you. You know, right? The other thing is, we keep saying, keep coming back. Um, my sponsor said, the real issue is not keep coming back. It's keep an open mind. Because that's what will get you back. Uh, let's take a couple of questions. Thanks for letting me share. Okay, uh, Mickey asked if, to talk about my spiritual practice. The first thing I do in the morning, um, I, I pray in the morning, last thing I do, on my knees, last thing I pray, there are, there's a ritual of prayers. I was brought up, interestingly enough, uh, in the uh, Jewish religion. Roy, great to see you, man. I think I think the helmet looks great. Anyway, um, and so what my path along the line was, there was five years where I had a Gohansen and I, I chanted, chanted Namio Horengakyo. And then I went and studied some Kabbalah and some prayers from the spiritual part of that uh, I use every day, like the Shema. You know, I mean, it's my religion. But I'll say the Shema, you know, before I eat twice. You know, I mean, the full Shema. There's, anyway, I don't want to get into a whole thing. But the point is, I read, like I share with the guy, I call, I call my food in every day, and, and we'll share what's in for today, and I'll reread it. So, I'm, you know, I'm pretty grooved on that stuff now. Sometimes I miss. Bye. <laughs>